glad you're here. Sing with us if you would.
pray in this worship that you would be with us, that your spirit would work in our hearts and that we would allow him to do what he needs to do. We follow you, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Remain standing. We're so glad to have you here. We have a special guest today. Raise your hand, Nick. <laughs> this is Nick. You remember Nick. Nick was shot in, an, in a whatever it was months ago, and he's back from the dead, and we're so glad you're here, Nick. Answered prayers. Yeah. All right. Good morning. How are you guys? We're getting over this super cold weather, aren't we? Yeah. Have you seen adults and people carrying cups like this? What do, what do these kind of cups help do for the stuff inside? You see something inside there? What do you see? Ice, yeah, they help them keep my water nice and cold, right? And then you see people carrying these things around. What does this do for the coffee? Keeps the coffee warm. It's even got a handle on it, right? So when I pick it up, I don't burn my hands, right? I can pick it up right there by the handle, right? Hot and cold, right? We got a lot of cold recently. You guys miss school because of all the cold, yeah. But cold's good sometimes, right? What do you do sometimes when you fall down and you bump your knee? What, you get a Band-Aid, and then what do you put on it to make it feel better? Do you go get an ice pack? Yeah, yeah. Or sometimes when people hurt themselves, right, they have to put hot water bottle on their shoulder. They have to put that icy hot stuff on their, on their back, right, to make them feel better. Do we boil water sometimes? Those people in Texas, they have to boil water just so it's good to drink, right? We can make macaroni when we boil some water, nice and hot, right? In Revelations uh, 3.16, Pastor Kevin's gonna be talking about hot and cold Christians. And he says, what I don't want you to be is lukewarm. What does he mean by lukewarm? Is that somebody's name? No? Yeah. Nice to meet you, Luke. No, they're saying, if I want a cup of water, right, wouldn't I want a nice cold cup of water? If I wanted some coffee, wouldn't I want some nice hot coffee? I wouldn't want to eat some soup that was warm, would I? No, I want some hot soup, right? I wouldn't want ice cream that would been sitting around and got all warm. Would you want ice cream that was all warm? Yeah. So I wouldn't either. And God doesn't want Christians that are lukewarm either. He wants us to serve a purpose, be hot or cold, right? Do something good with your faith, with your life. Serve someone else. Be useful. Hot and cold water, that's really useful. Lukewarm water, yeah. Just probably pour it down the drain, right? Go get myself another cup. So that's what God says. Don't be lukewarm. Be hot or cold. Do something for somebody. Be kind, right? Make them a card. Give them a hug. Tell them you love them, right? So that's our job as Christians. So won't you bow with me, and then we'll worship him. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for the gift of our faith. Help us to be hot or cold Christians, that we can have some use, that you can put us to work, help open our eyes and our hearts to those opportunities that we have to serve those around us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Join us as we continue to worship. Shame is hell. 
Let's pray together. Father God, we're such a broken, crushed world right now. But God, we need to turn to you and look to you. You fill our lives with such hope and peace and mercy and grace and comfort. Father, help us to be able to extend that to other people. Your love, your joy, just everything, Lord. Be with people in Texas right now as they're struggling with the extreme cold. Be with the country, Lord, as we pray for our leaders and just help to encourage one another as we face these difficult times. Father, I just ask that you would bless our tithes and our offerings that we bring to you and make them a blessing to your kingdom. In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Michelle. Open your Bibles with me, if you would. Book of Revelation, chapter 3. Continuing in our series, Letters to the Seven Churches. Pick up where we left off. The seventh church, Laodicea. Good, solid church. The only one that received a scathing denunciation from Jesus. We're going to talk about that. Revelation, chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 22 in just a moment. Nate is not here today, obviously, and Nate is camping, and he and Lincoln are on a scout troop, and they're camping in the Desert Dome in the Omaha Zoo, so that's kind of a cool deal. So they're outside, but they're inside. Got a biosphere up there, so uh, we need to give him some hard times about that when he's back here next week. 
Remember that in two weeks, we are going to recognize Nate for 10 years of service. So get those cards and letters and gifts if you'd like. We'll shower him with gifts and love and let him know how much we love him. We missed it back in September. I don't know why, but we did. And so we don't want to do that. We want to recognize his gifts here. So be in prayer for he and Lincoln as they're doing this daddy and son time with the scout. And just pray for them. Pray also for our nation. Pray for wisdom. For each of us, for wisdom. For discernment. For the ability to know when to speak and when not. And to say whatever we need to say with grace. Our culture seems to breed vile, stupid, rude, etc. And we don't have to be that way. We can be better. And God calls us to be better. I'll give you a few moments to pray where you're seated. And I'll close and we'll look at this passage together. Would you bow with me please? Father, again, we thank you for your presence today. Everything is gift, Father. Thank you. For this life, for relationships, for creating us to love and laugh. Thank you. We pray this morning, Father, you would be with us. As a nation, we are struggling. We aren't liking each other very much. We confess that as sin, we have allowed minor issues to divide us. We have ignored your word in so many ways. We ask for mercy, forgiveness, and another chance. We thank you for the offer of another chance, for what you offer us in Jesus. Forgiveness, salvation, hope in this life, and hope in the life to come. Thank you. Help us to be wise enough to receive your gift. We pray for the gift of faith that we might follow you. For those of us who believe, help us in our unbelief. We resist you even when we follow you. Again, we ask for mercy and guidance and wisdom. As always, Father, we pray for those in power that they would be given wisdom and discernment, the ability to make decisions that will help people, the ability to be compassionate and gracious and kind and responsible to help us to work together. You have blessed us in the past because we were able to lay aside our differences. We ask for those abilities again and for your blessings. As always, be with our soldiers, first responders, those in the medical field, protect them in this time of pandemic. We pray for a speedy end to this pandemic, for the ability to get the vaccines out. Help us, Father. We seem to be struggling to do the most basic of things. We obviously need help. Help us to love and give grace to others. We not only ask for mercy and forgiveness for us, Father, we ask for the ability to forgive those that have hurt us. Give us grace. Help us to share that grace with others. Father, as we study your word, teach us. Guide us. Help us to apply what we learn to our lives so that we might honor you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. talk about my weight a lot because it's a thing you know my scrawny doctor gives me this lecture all the time I have everything tucked in right now and you don't need to know all the details there 
But it always makes me feel better after getting a lecture from the doctor if I walk out into the waiting room and see someone who's a lot heavier than me. You ever done that? It's not a healthy thing. But I immediately compare myself not to the scrawny doctor who just gave me the lecture, but to the overweight guy who has eaten more hamburgers than me. And I feel better about myself. Now, it's not healthy. It's self-delusion. But I bet I'm not the only one that does that. We tend to compare ourselves to other people in order to make ourselves look better. It doesn't change anything, but sometimes we're just so desperate to feel good about ourselves, we do that. Churches do it all the time. People do it all the time. Corporations do it all the time. I worked at the Ford Clay Como assembly plant back in the 70s, and if you remember back in the 70s, the import crush was just beginning to squeeze the American auto industry. In particular, at the Ford plant Clay Como, we made the F-150 pickup, still do. And it was one of the best-selling trucks in the country, but these pesky Toyotas were beginning to push into their numbers big time. And as a collective group, we hated Toyotas. And we knew that they were just stuff and crap and all those things that you can imagine. A little bit of racist terminology thrown in there to make us feel good. And one day after doing this, we took the weekend off like we all, all me and 4,000 of my closest friends did. And we came back in Monday morning and there was a couple of brand new Toyota pickups there. And they were pretty sweet rides, except for the fact that they were brilliant white, which is not so much. They had the cheapest interiors you could get, and they had red circles all over them. And on every circle, there was orange peel, orange peel, chip, orange peel, dead bug, flaws in the paints, what it was. What Ford had done was bought a couple of cheap Toyota pickups, brand new off the lot, and circled them with all the flaws. It was obvious what they were trying to do. They were trying to compare the top-of-the-line F-150 to the cheapest little toy they could find in the effort of making the F-150, the Ford product, look better than the Toyotas. Now, the bottom line was the Toyotas were selling and encroaching on, upon the industry because they had better quality and build quality and all those kinds of things. And Ford, like all other American manufacturers, was just kidding itself, thinking they could point out the flaws of others and fix everything Eventually, what had to happen was they had to take that plant apart, and I saw this, and they literally took the plant apart, and they cut off all the building, off all the machines from the floor off, called a changeover, and they eliminated the entire plant except for the shell, and they rebuilt it completely because they had to to compete. But they didn't want to because that cost billions of dollars. What they wanted to do was compare themselves to someone and look better. Self-deceit is an easy thing to do. Like I said, everybody does it, even churches. Today we're going to read a story about a church in Laodicea, a church or a collection of churches, we're not sure. And evidently what scholars think is going on was this church or these churches in Laodicea were doing pretty good. And they might have had some problems, but they were feeling really good about themselves because there were other churches and other groups of people that weren't doing as well as they were. And they compared themselves to them and made themselves look good. They were deceiving themselves. Follow along with me if you would. Revelation 3. I'll read verses 14 through 22 and see if you can find this. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may become rich and white garments, that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on the throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A little bit about Laodicea another wealthy town. If you've noticed, there's a pattern. When the early church spread out into the world, the goal was to share the faith. So they went to where the money was, not because they were necessarily after the money,
but because the money was in the trade centers. And then her trade centers had a lot of people coming through. And they understood that if they could get to a place where they would have a lot of foreign visitors, they could witness to them and share the gospel with them and maybe lead them to Christ. And they would, by definition, go home and take the gospel story with them. And that was working pretty well, actually, as a strategy. So when you look at these cities, you wonder why they're all wealthy. It's because the church was very strategic. Just a little point of thing there that what's going on is they knew what they were doing so these were good people I guess that's one way to say it these were Christians they followed Jesus in this church they were good folk they were doing good they were doing well and I've talked about how preachers measure churches with nickels and noses and they had nickels they had money good offerings and the building was nice and the air conditioning worked etc and the toilet flush you know kidding but but they had everything they needed and the people in the church had money they were the beautiful people. They were wealthy in this city. They were known for medical technology, not necessarily medical treatments, but pharmacies. They made spicknard there, which was an old treatment for ear problems, and also Phrygian powder, which is a stone, and they would grind it up and, and mix it with hot water, and it would be an eye salve, and it was really a world changer back in the day. And so there were pharmaceutical companies in the city, and of course there was, even in those days, gazillions of dollars in pharmaceuticals and they used them well and so people had this stuff and they came to church and they dressed well and they ate good food and they had probably had barbecue not kidding they didn't have barbecue in those days but but they had good food and they were good people and they picked up their dog poo when they went walking with their dogs and you know the kind of neighbors you wanted they were just good people and yet in this church more than any other church Jesus saved his harshest denunciation. What in the world was going on? One of the things that we're going to learn here is that Jesus judges us not by worldly standards, but by standards that are his own. So one of the things we have to learn, if we're going to look at ourselves and judge ourselves and discern what a good church is and what a bad church is and those kinds of things and God calls us to be discerning if we're going to do that we have to choose the right standards not the standards of other people but by the standards that God uses by the standards that Jesus uses to discern the difference between a good church and a bad church in Laodicea so here's what we think is going on in Laodicea good Christians follow Jesus held to correct teachings like I said, nice people. They did good ministry. Nickels and noses were up. Nice building. But when judged by Jesus, he was scathing. See, I think what was happening was they looked really good on the outside. But on the inside, they were poison. Ever met anyone that looked really good until they opened their mouth? Sure. Politicians, we think of. Preachers. Good-looking guys, pretty girls. You know, there are all kinds of people out there. They're wonderful and they're intelligent, they're accomplished. But as soon as you get to know them, you go, wow, they're just poison. I hate Facebook, but it is a really interesting door into the human predicament, isn't it? If you follow Facebook, and I don't really follow it, but I read on it, and all these people that I don't really remember are on my Facebook feed, and I don't understand how that works. I asked my wife, how come all these people are on my feed? She goes, well, you've asked them. I said, no, I didn't. Then you asked somebody else, and they invited them. And I don't know how that works, don't care. But it gives me an insight into some really interesting people. Some of them are really fine people. Sometimes I know them. And then sometimes they talk, and they say something so stupid or ridiculous or racist and I think wow and sometimes they are the beautiful people think people that are intelligent and capable and accomplished and I'm amazed what is inside of people so was Jesus so what we can do is look at this passage and some of the things up on screen if we can go to the next thing uh, this gives us an idea neither cold nor hot Jesus is discerning the nature of their faith now, the reason he used cold or hot is because there, was, there were no natural water resources in the city of Laodicea. They had to pipe in their water through aqueducts. From one direction, they piped in cold spring water, and it was good stuff, and everybody loved it. From the other side of town, they piped in the hot springs from another city quite a ways away, and they used that in the manufacturing process with Phrygian powder in particular. 
And it was good stuff. And people had been to the city. It was just six or seven miles away. And they knew that this water, when it was hot, was not something you wanted to drink, but it, it, it served its purpose. And it felt good when, you, when it went down your throat because it was hot and it had a lot of minerals in it. And it was pretty healthy for you. But when it came down the aqueduct, what happened was it got cool. Not cold, but lukewarm. It was understood in Laodicea that you don't want to drink that hot water because it's, it's putrid. Somewhere along the way, in going from hot water from the springs to lukewarm water at your, at, in the city, it became rancid and putrid. And no one really understood why. There was bacteria and moss and all those kinds of things, but they didn't understand that in those days. They just knew that that water that was hot at the source, when it got lukewarm, it was just disgusting. So everybody knew you don't drink that stuff. You use it in manufacturing processes, but that's it. Everybody knew that in town. So when Jesus said, because you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, they knew exactly what he was talking about. It was natural to spit that stuff out. Just as soon as you took a drink, even the youngest child would take a drink and go, Pfft, because it was just disgusting. That's what Jesus is saying about them. In this church, full of beautiful people, where the nickels and noses were good, where everything was wonderful, Jesus is saying, you disgust me. Pretty harsh judgment. He got their attention. The next one, in verse 17, this is what they were saying. I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. This is one of the things that was going on in the church. The people were wealthy. They were better than other people. You know, there's a tendency when you have abilities and looks and you're one of the gifted ones and you're one of the beautiful people, there is a natural tendency to feel better about yourself than other people. And this is what had happened in the church. And what had happened was they had this theology that God was going to bless you if you were good people. So this is the way it works. See if it sounds familiar. If you live your life well, God will bless you. And when God blesses you, it normally comes in the form of money or possessions or good jobs or nice homes or beautiful children, those kinds of things. Those are all blessings, and that's true. And so the thinking goes like this. Well, look at my life. I am truly blessed. God blesses people when they're good. Therefore, since I'm blessed, I must be good. And it is that circular reasoning that was so comforting because people who had everything were obviously blessed of God. The other side of that coin was people that didn't have everything weren't blessed of God because they weren't as good. You see how it works? It's very simple, very natural, and it is from hell, isn't it? We tend to judge people by worldly standards. We judge churches by worldly standards. Income, nice, all those things. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But none of those things are necessarily that important to God. This church in Laodicea had all the good things. By everyone's acknowledgement, it was a great church. But Jesus said, you disgust me. You see, they just thought they were a little too cool, a little too good, probably better than everybody else. One other thing, verse 17 still, you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked to those people who were wealthy and could afford the best health care. And that was an issue in that town full of pharmaceutical industries. They got everything treated. They had the best doctors. This was a great place to be in that first century world. You're blind. You're sick. You're wretched. You disgust me. Did you ever notice in the stories of Jesus who Jesus was compassionate to? Everybody. Gracious, if he encountered a prostitute, loved her, offered her mercy and another chance. Came to a tax collector, ate with him, accepted him, loved him. Fishermen that talked like fishermen, loved them, those were his people. Commoners, middle class, loved them all, gracious and kind, caught them in sin, confronted them gently, led them to faith except one group of people, preachers. Yeah, preachers. I went to school with 600 of them. We're not that great a people group, really. It is easy for preachers to become 
a little better than everybody else because we're spiritual. We read the Bible more than other people. We go to church more than other people. We're more aware of God's ways and God's blessings. And of course, when God blesses us, we begin to think that. And if we're not careful, we become just like those people in Laodicea, just like the people Jesus contended with, the scribes and Pharisees. They were that group of super religious folk that did everything right. They really were fine people. They disgusted Jesus because of the arrogance and self-righteous that was in us with them. Jesus understands sin. He accepts us as sinners. But this thing of pride and self-righteousness, that's just something he can't tolerate. It's what was going on in Laodicea. They were just better than everybody else because they just knew. They judged themselves by worldly standards. By those standards, they were better. It was just that simple. They were better. And because of that, Jesus condemned them. Nothing good about this church could be said from Jesus' perspective. So on screen, we can go to that next slide. A couple of ideas. First, the practice of faith is to be guided by the godly values of sincerity, righteousness, and humility. And this is really hard because it demands a change in the way we think and value. You have to learn to listen to Scripture. And when you see things like this and see that Jesus looked at a church that was wonderful by all accounts and was disgusted with it, you have to be open to thinking, what in the world? And when you learn that they were self-satisfied and self-righteous and feeling pretty good about themselves and that disgusted Jesus, you have to be open to whether or not maybe that's crept into your life. Some are more prone to that kind of thing than others. Some people are naturally humble. Some people are naturally arrogant, and you know that. But we all struggle with it to some degree. So when you read this story, as a church or as an individual, pay attention to what Jesus valued, what the condemnations were, what Jesus' reactions were to those that maybe felt too good about themselves. One of the other things on screen, God always offers us grace and another chance. Remember, this church earned Jesus' scorn like no other. You disgust me. I spit you out of my mouth. He told them, go buy gold. Go buy salve. Go buy stuff. He was mocking them for their money, you see. If you would look at verse 18. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. See, he was mocking them. You've got so much, you can buy anything you want. It's not going to help you. That's not the problem. Gold, white garments, I salve. He was mocking them. You have all this stuff. And still you are blind and unrighteous. Wake up. And then Jesus said this thing in verse 20. If you would, go to verse 20, please. Read this with me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. You hear this at evangelistic sermons, as well you should. Jesus was saying this to the church who already claimed him as Savior. He's saying, listen, you can't do anything on your own but you can open the door. So even in a time of judgment and condemnation, Jesus offered another chance. That's the grace of God, folks. That's what God does with us. He sees us in our sin, and he offers us another chance, even to Christians that have lost their way. Most of us follow Jesus as Savior. You could raise your hands. Yes, I received Jesus. Some of you could tell me when and where. Great. Doesn't mean that we're perfect. It surely doesn't mean that we are all that God wants us to be. No matter who you are, where you are in life, God gives you a chance. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. On screen is this picture. You can't see it very well because of the lighting. This is a, a remade picture. You've seen the picture of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. Probably what you can't see in most of the pictures, thank you, Bob, is that there's no door handle on the door. That's intentional. The artist who painted that wanted you to understand the truth. 
Jesus will not open the door to your life. He will knock. He will give you an offer. He will love you. But you're the one who's got to open the door. I was taught in school that Jesus is a gentleman. In some ways, that's correct. He's not going to force himself on you. You can't make people get saved. He's not going to make you do anything. But he can call you and invite you and encourage you. And Jesus does that to us today. The seven churches were good churches. Most of those people in the church were Christians. And yet in each church they had lost their way for some reason or another. So the letters to the seven churches not only spoke to those churches, specific churches in that day and time, but they speak to us all at various stages in our life and development, don't they? And it ends with this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Open the door, and I'll come in. And that's the offer to you. Open the door, perhaps to receive Jesus as Savior, maybe to make a recommitment, maybe to confess sin and get right with God. It's up to you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Would you stand with me? As Michelle leads us in a closing hymn of invitation, come forward if you'd like to talk to me about one of these issues. righteous and humble and show this in our daily lives so others can see it so that they can come to you through faith look after us till we can gather again and look out for those who can't be here with us today we ask this in jesus name amen